Thank you, Pastor Marlene. It's good to be a part of your prayer this morning. Thank you, all of those of you who represent teachers around the world right now. We're starting, starting school in so many places. Public schools are all getting started. Uh, our own school here, our, uh, the Pine Hills Adventist Academy, our, um, our personal favorite school in the whole world, is uh, starting this week. It just started this week. Yeah, somebody started to clap. That was a perfectly good thing to do. It was nice to have the teachers up here. Um, having done homeschool with our kids as well for a time, I was standing here behind Ryan, who's easy to hide behind, uh, and realizing a lot of times you fathers who get involved in homeschool don't come forward when we have that prayer, but we know, we know you're there. And we know sometimes your only job is to be the principal of the school. And God bless you being that, uh, in that role. I know that we have teachers in our midst who teach and have taught college, teach and, uh, and have taught in, a, in our public school system. Thank you for what you're doing. If our world ever needed teachers whose hearts are committed to Christ, it's now. If there was ever a time when we needed influence in the lives of of children and young people that represents Christ, it's now. Uh, we live in a time when so much of the world is losing its way because it's turning its back on the one true answer. And so thank you for what you're doing. Um, today we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Jesus as our good shepherd. Um, I want to just start out today with uh, a little bit of a picture of that good shepherd. Remember, Jesus comes on the scene. This is in the middle of the discussion between him and the Pharisees about his role. His, this good shepherd talk is not just, uh, it's not just soft and cuddly news. It's actually pretty strong statements being made. He's talking to the Pharisees, and he's talking to them about his role in the world. And he begins by describing the way shepherd, a shepherd's life works. He talks about this sheepfold. No, we don't have a sheepfold. Do you have a sheepfold in your backyard? There may be one among us who has a sheepfold in her backyard. But most of you don't, right? Well, most of these people had seen them or were engaged with them on a regular basis. They saw these things all the time. They knew that there was a, a necessity of a pen for the sheep. And it, it kept the sheep in, but one of its major roles was to keep enemies of the sheep out, be that a human or be that a creature of some sort that wanted to have a sheep snack. Whatever it was, that was part of the role of the sheep's pen. And often these sheep's pens that were outside of the community, outside, in the, in the, uh, outside of the town, particularly beyond the reaches of the town's influence, often those sheepfolds themselves would not have a regular door in them. They would just have an opening. And then one of the shepherds would, she would sleep across that opening. Jesus says, I am the door to the sheep's fold. I lay there across the opening where enemies of the sheep approach. And I stand between them 
and the enemy. Jesus said, in the morning when those sheep need to be gathered to follow after their shepherd, they come to that door. And when those sheep hear their shepherd, they collect and follow him. Because these pens were hard to maintain and hard to, hard to build, many shepherds would bring their flocks in. And there would often be multiple flocks mingling together in there, talking about their day. Oh, well, we went out to this place. We had this kind of grass. You guys should check the clover out over on the other side. You know, they were just chatting like sheep do. But when that shepherd came to the door, was recognized by the one who keeps evil from the sheep as the shepherd of those sheep, he would be allowed to call out to his sheep. And when he called them, those sheep gathered in the midst of all the others mixed together would hear his voice. They would recognize his voice and they would start coming towards the exit. And he would go before them to show them the way that was safe and good and abundant for them. The life he was giving them, the life he was directing them to, he was teaching them to follow and know his voice. From their first breath of air, they had heard this voice. Up until that moment, they had been guided and protected and blessed and sometimes corrected and sometimes healed by this man, this woman, with this voice. And so they trusted him completely. And as he called, more and more sheep came. And as he moved away from the entrance of the sheepfold, they started to gather to him on the outside. And he kept moving further and further as his flock came out. And the sheepfold was closed as his, the last of his flock came out. When he got the last of his sheep, he then told the person guarding the door, these are all of mine. Because the shepherd knew each and every one of the sheep. You see, from their first breath, they not only heard his voice, but he heard theirs. From their first breath, he had looked into the eyes, he had touched them, he had cared for them, he had caressed them, he'd, he'd rubbed his hand on their head, he had lifted them and carried them when they needed to be carried. Every step of the way, the shepherd had been with them. And so there was a relationship built over time. There was a connection being made. And he was teaching these sheep each day what it meant to follow him. At Grace Point, we believe, as was stated before, that the shepherd is leading us to an abundant life. That the point, Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. He is leading the sheep to a better life than they could have on their own. That the sheep of the world have a better life that follow Jesus. That the lives, the, the choices they make in following him lead to better things. Jesus is calling us to be his followers. A decision equals a life. Do you realize that? Your life is simply a set of decisions. From day to day, from week to week, from hour to hour, we are making decisions. Are they all good? Anybody blown a decision this week? Today. Decisions equal life. So that as you are walking through your life making decisions, trying to follow after the one who wants to bless you and give you an abundant experience, 
those decisions add up to a life. I bet if we stopped for a minute and you just got it, you started thinking about the decisions you've made. Some of those decisions took you off in the wrong directions. Some of those decisions brought you back in the right direction. You've made decisions that have led you to where you are right now. Decisions equal life. Yes? Okay. Second point. Bad decisions equal bad life. Does this sound a little too elementary? You know why we have to do this? Because we're elementary. Bad decisions equal bad life, right? Deciding to drive 125 miles an hour on the freeway typically leads to a bad experience for you. There are lots of ways that it happens. Policeman pulls you over. That's a bad day. You run into somebody. That's a worse day. You have a crash. That's maybe your last day. But it all started with a decision. Right? It all starts with a decision. Bad decision leads to bad life. So, so think about it. Think about the decisions you're making right now. Think about what you're doing, the, the things you're pondering, what next you're going to do. Bad decisions typically lead to a worse life than good decisions do, right? So the, the corollary is also true. Good decisions equal Good life. Good decisions equal a better life than do bad decisions. True? So far so true? Okay, good, good, good. So we're always trying to figure out what it means to, to, to then truly make the right decisions. Believers are trying to say, how do I follow Jesus? How do I make decisions that are in alignment with what Jesus wants me to do? We talked about this last week. We talked about the ideal of being aligned with what God is calling us to be aligned with. That's the calling. That's what we're all being drawn to. How do we align ourselves with that? How do we make ourselves line up with where God is leading? That, that shepherd who's calling us, that shepherd whose voice in your ear is so quiet that you can't ignore it. And almost imperceptibly silent, but a blast of sound. That voice that you already know. That voice that all of us have. The Holy Spirit doesn't abandon anyone. So you and I have all felt it. We may have only felt it at that moment of decision, conviction, even cartoons. I, we, we've talked about this. Even cartoons display this, right? Even the, those, those simplest of sort of guides and instructions to our children. Boy, I'm thankful we have children because, or have teachers because we also have cartoons. Man. SpongeBob is not the guy to follow. Bad decisions, bad life. Even the cartoons, when a person's trying to make a decision, will place an angel and a devil on their shoulder, right? Isn't what they're representing? Good decisions, good life. Bad decisions, bad life. They're representing the idea that the, the devil's trying to influence you in a bad direction. The, the Lord is trying to influence you in a good, good direction. You felt the tug. You probably feel it today. We are constantly being called away from God by our culture. Our culture is not a culture being led by God. Is everybody clear on that? There is no God party in our political system. Not in America. Not in France, not in any place in the world. There is no God party. There is just 
political party. There are just those people who are following after their own desires for leadership and their own, their own desires for what is right. They think they know. We think they don't. We go back and forth. We usually hold our nose and vote for somebody. Because we all know there's no God party. There is no God party. There's only a God. And as decisions are being made in our world, we're trying to figure out what to do. Trying to figure out who we're going to follow. What we're going to uh, put our weight behind. There's that voice. The voice of the Holy Spirit. The Bible has this great way of saying it. That the voice of God is there and it's calling out to you. This is the way. Walk you in it. We're hearing the voice of the shepherd. My sheep hear my voice and follow me. If you read the rest of this passage, it says, and I lead them to eternal life. What is the end of the the path that he's leading you on? Eternal life. You know what he's trying to do? He's trying to get you home. He's trying to fix what's what's been broken. He's trying to reclaim what was lost by Adam and Eve. I've told you and I've told you and and I'll keep telling you, God is not the cosmic killjoy. He's the opposite. He is actually trying to give you the best possible life, given that you live in the armpit of the universe. We live in a place that we are we're quarantined on because of sin. There was a time when prof, uh, prophetic evangelistic preachers said, we're never going to reach the moon because that would be spreading sin onto the moon. I think the moon was, moon was already polluted when it got into our atmosphere and into our sphere. But I want to talk to you about this idea of hearing the voice. My sheep hear my voice and do what? Follow me. How are you doing with following? Are you a good follower? How's your followership? Uh, I, I think I mentioned this last week. If I didn't, I mentioned it sometime this week. I live in a household with two leaders. We don't have any followers left because the kids moved out. And so whatever leads to, whoever uh, wins today leads today or at the moment. This could change at any moment. How's your followership? Are you good at following? I'm a terrible follower. Are you good at following? Or do you have your own mind all the time? We talk about like, that like it's a good thing. Well, I, I make up my own mind. Yeah, your tools are broken. There's a God out there in the universe who's trying to help you because he knows that you're handicapped. There's a little bitty piece of equipment to work with. He says, man, I'd help you with that if you'd ask me. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. Jesus' mission, lead us to eternal life and the abundant life on this planet. Raise your hand if you've been in Grace Point for two years. Okay, this is probably going to be a repeat for you. The rest of you, have you ever heard of a place called Lebedee? Raise your hand if you've heard of it. Raise your hand if you didn't hear of it in church. They need, to, they need to pay me because I have informed so many of you. There's like four of you who didn't hear about this in church. Where have you been? Leatherby's Family Creamery. 
look it up. Google it after church. Letter B is a description of this text. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it more, what? Abundantly. When you have abundance, do you have just enough? No, the abundance is not just enough. Is abundance less than enough? No, no, no. Abundance is more than enough. Okay? I have come that you might have life and have more than enough. What if you translated it that way? I have come that you might have life and not have just the bare minimum. I have come that you might have life and have such an amazing life that people say, how did he get that? How did that happen? I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. There's a reason why I use Leatherby's for this. Those of you regular Grace Pointers know what the reason is. Because when you go to this ice cream place, they don't give you the normal little dinky $2 scoop of ice cream. You know the one. It's like barely bigger than a tablespoon. If you've been to that other famous creamery that has 31 flavors, you know that their standard scoop, I could put the whole thing in my mouth at one time. And I may have a big mouth, but it's not that big. I literally could take my spoon and drop it in because it's just a tiny little thing and it costs me two, three bucks. But if you go to Leatherby's and you order ice cream there, be thoughtful. Look around before you, especially you newcomers, look around before you order. Look at what's on other people's tables. Maybe go ask someone, what did you actually order? Because a regular ice cream sundae at Leatherby's comes in a glass this tall. And you know what's cool about this glass? It's not two inches thick at the bottom like the one at the other place. It's a glass which is actually hollow. And when they start filling that thing up with ice cream, the first thing they do is add a little of whatever you've asked for. And of course, anybody who knows anything puts hot fudge in there. And then they start putting the ice cream in. Those of you who are pros know you order your hot fudge on the side, right? That way it doesn't cool off and become cool fudge. Order it on the side. Professional tip. And then they start putting ice cream in, and they fill this thing. They fill it all the way up. So the glass is about this tall, and they fill this ice cream glass all the way up. That's abundant. That's, that's a lot. That's plenty. And then they just about double the size of that glass with ice cream out the top. And then because they know that this is an extravagant amount of ice cream, they put it on a plate. Because they know that as soon as they start adding toppings, it's going to run down like the oil on Aaron's head down over the sides, onto the glass, and drip onto the plate. And when they sprinkle the, the, the nuts, uh, should you choose to, on top, they are also going to dance their way over the sides and down onto the plate, and they are going to beautifully stick in whatever other ooze you have found on your plate at that point. And after they get done with that, by the way, you should order Jersey whipped cream. It is whipped cream, which, by the way, is made on site. See, these people really should, should pay me for this. 
with chocolate and malt in it. Yeah, see, it's, it's not on the regular menu. It's like the secret menu. And they put that on top. And just so you know this is a Sunday, they drop a little cherry on top. That, my friends, is what Jesus is talking about. When he said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Does this sound like the cosmic killjoy to you? Because an abundant life is a life beyond the minimum expectations. A life beyond what is really possible on the planet where we live. Because if we got the life we deserved on our planet, it would be short and painful. And that would be all we would get. If we got the life we deserved on our planet, we would live with the anarchy of this sinful world, untamed and untouched by our Father who loves us, unprotected by our shepherd, we would die quickly and painfully, every single one of us. We would have a hard time reproducing fast enough to keep up with the Joneses. But instead, he came to the planet to give us the choice of an abundant life. You see, when we talk about what it means to follow God around here, we talk about this because this is what Jesus said he was doing. We didn't make this up. Jesus said this is what he was doing. This is actually his declaration of why he came. This is why I'm here. So that you might have life where you now have death. And that you might have a life more abundant than you deserve. Than this planet because I, your father, your shepherd, your brother, your savior, love you that much. Now I want to go back to the word follow. Because it said, my sheep follow me. And I lead my sheep to eternal life. And I lead my sheep to abundance. So if you go back to the idea of following him. I want to ask you how you know when you're following and when you're not. How do you make that decision? I would like the abundant life. Sounds like a good idea to me. More than enough, packed on top, running over onto the plate, full, abundant, wonderful life. How do I know that I'm actually on the track? How do I know when I'm following? I want to talk about five ways to test your decisions, biblical ways to test your decisions. We're going to go through them pretty quickly. There's a handout. I may be in your bulletin. I don't know. It's not. It's out, there will be some out there you can pick up on your way out. I'm going to go through these fairly quickly. Number one, what does the Bible say about this choice? Is this the obvious one? When you're stuck in this choice, you're trying to decide what you're going to do. Is there any biblical impact on this choice? People say, well, I'm buying a car. There's no biblical information about a choice. A car? Well, there might be. There might be. Is this more than I should? Is this an extravagance I don't need? Is this a wasteful decision? Is this a mockery of something? Am I doing this? Am I making this decision? Which seems pretty innocuous, and a lot of them are. Is there anything in the Bible that speaks to this decision? 
anything biblical, anything that I'm clear about, anything that I actually know. Remember Mark Twain's comment about this. Remember Mark Twain's brother was a preacher in Carson City. Mark Twain's comment about this is, I'm not afraid of the things in the Bible I don't understand. It's the things I do understand that scare me. There's a lot of information out there that we already have. Does the Bible say anything that pertains to my decision today? Here I am trying to figure out what to do. Is there any biblical information? Does this not seem like places, the letter A, point one on this discussion? Are there any biblical inferences, references, direct commentaries on this idea? On this. I want to follow Jesus. He's revealed a bunch of things. Maybe I should check that. Let's look at the map. Let's Google it. As crazy as that may sound, if you said to Google, are there any biblical references in relationship to purchase of a car? I will bet you you will find commentary. Go Google it. It's never been easier to find out if there was any biblical reference, inference, description as it relates to the decision I'm making. What college should I go to? Some of you have made that decision or are still in the process of making that decision. You're on the cusp of that decision. Where should I go? Is there any biblical relationship to this? Is there biblical information or inference about this that I should know about? What might I learn from God about this decision? Number two, what if the whole world knew about this? Would it affect my decision-making if I knew they were going to put a billboard up with my name connected to the decision I'm about to make? If the whole world knew, Proverbs 10, verse 9, whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but whoever fakes, whoever takes a crooked path, maybe fakes a crooked path too, will be found out. Eventually, somebody's going to know. Our politicians should all have this, like, tattooed on the palm of their hand. Right? I will be found out. This will eventually show up on the news somewhere. If the world knew, would it influence your decision? This is, a pretty, this is usually a pretty cut and dry one, right? If you're looking at your decision making, you're saying, hey, should I make this decision? Well, let me think. If my, uh, if my husband knew, would it matter? Uh, if my neighbors knew, would it matter? What, what, what if this got on the news? What if suddenly this was on? Would, it, would that affect this decision I'm currently thinking about making? That eliminates a bunch of stuff right there. If the biblical answer didn't get, get, didn't get it, this will often get it right here. You, never, you rarely have to go beyond number two. Unless you think a little more deeply. Look at number three. Will I be a better person if I make this decision? Okay, it's gotten a little more personal. Will I be a better person if I make this decision? This is 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23. I have the right to do anything you say. Remember the Corinthian church. If you've ever been in a bad church where everybody's messed up, go read Corinthians. Theirs is worse. Almost guaranteed. They are a complete mess. And they had two books of the Bible written to them. There actually probably were more than two, but we only have two left. I think they tore the other one up and burned it. The Corinthians need to hear from Paul. They're going around saying, hey, I can do anything. I have the right to do anything. In grace, I am covered by God's mercy and his grace. I can do anything I want. Paul says, I have the right to do anything. Hmm? But not everything is constructive. 
not everything will make me a better person. Not everything will help me be the better per- best person I could be. He doesn't even argue with them on their per- first point. He doesn't argue whether or not they have the right to do anything. He just asks, okay, fine, you, that's your argument. Is it going to make you a better person? Is it going to help? Is it going to be constructive or destructive? After I follow through on this decision, what's life going to be like for me? Am I going to be a better guy, a better gal? Number four, is there an addiction possibility at the end of this? Paul's interesting comment here. Now, this is in chapter 6, same topic, different chapter. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. Is there a possibility of addiction? Those of you who have addictive families, those of you who come from long lines of addiction, you know, you have alcoholic parents that go way back. You have, you have I don't know, you have drug-addicted parents that go way back. You have work-addicted parents that go way back. If you, are t- if you tend towards addicting, if you, turn, if you tend towards addiction in your family, this should be especially thoughtful for you. Is there a possibility of addiction? It's not a big deal, Pastor. It's no big deal. It might not be, but it might be for you. It might be for you. Is this a road I want to get started on because I might not be able to get off? You know, sometimes you drive through. I, I, I drive in Chicago once in a while. It hasn't been, haven't been for a while, but one of the things that made me the most crazy was getting on that express lane you couldn't get out of. You get, you get on there, and then suddenly you'd be trapped, and you'd have to go for a certain distance before you could get out. Even though I didn't need to exit anytime soon, it just felt, it felt so, ref, so confining. That's what addiction is. Addiction is a freeway you can't get off of. You actually have to have somebody pull you over, slap you around, drag you out of your car, and force you off the exit the first time. Be careful of choices that have addiction as a possibility at the end. I want to talk to you workaholics who are feeling pretty good about yourself right now. This is an addiction. It's an addiction to praise. It's an addiction to success. It's an addiction to money. It's an addiction to something that keeps you driving yourself beyond the capabilities of your body to recover. That's an addiction. If you're a, if you're a drunk, can I just say the word plainly? We, we are, we've gotten so polite about everything today, we don't define things clearly enough. If you have come to the point where you are a drunk, admit it. And get off that train. Go talk to a doctor who will slap you around a little bit and force you off, the, off at the next exit. You need to get off. If you've started down the line of snorting something or smoking something or whatever because somebody else thinks it's a good idea or you think it's a good idea, it's a bad idea. In fact, it's a dumb idea because it will trap you here and it will kill you in the end. I, I, I know I'm getting real, real right in your face. I don't know who you are, but I'm sure I'm in somebody's face right now. But I'm not apologizing for it. And I'm not going to apologize if it comes to me later. Because it's a bad idea. It's a bad decision. The apostle is simply saying, look, I will not be mastered by anything. I will not be trapped 
in the decision making that I may, uh, I'm doing that leads me in some path I can't get off. I know our whole world is saying this is cool and this is okay. I know, especially those of you who are younger, those of you high schoolers, those of you who are younger people, I know everybody says it's okay. It's only a six-pack today, a 12-pack next week, and it's a quarter beer before you start breakfast the week after that, and it's a lifetime of destruction for you and your family. Don't get on this expressway because the exit is death. And if you are, go see somebody. There's lots of help out there. Join a group and stick with the stinking group. Literally, there, there are groups for, no, for every one of our addictions. There are groups to help you walk it out and get done with it. And I'm kind of wearing this one out, but it worries me a lot. It worries me a lot as your pastor. It worries me a lot as your friend. This is something we've all been around. We've seen the destruction that it causes. Don't get involved if you're not. Go get some help if you are. No matter what class of addiction you seem to be finding yourself in. Lastly, I know you're probably glad that's out of the way. Would anyone else be hurt by the decision I'm about to make? Would anyone else be hurt by this decision? How might other people be affected? If my grandkids were sitting here and we're going to make the same decision, would I still make the decision? If somebody who is not a very mature Christian finds out that this is something I'm doing, would it hurt their relationship and their walk? It's Romans chapter 14, so let's stop condemning each other. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. Let's stop attacking each other's bad behaviors. Let's look at... at at ourselves. Let's open up that mirror and take a good look. Weigh our own issues. Let's try to walk in a way that we won't cause someone else to stumble and fall. I know it's hard. And I know it's not fair. But this isn't about fair. This is about following Jesus all the way home. We live in a messed up world. Fair is pretty far out of reach. That's why only little kids really are the ones who are saying that's not fair. Because most of the rest of us know life isn't fair. Bad decisions of other people will collide with yours. 
There will be days you have gone along and made a very, very good set of decisions all day long and some other idiot's bad decision has come across your path. And I wish there were a way to say that isn't going to happen, but it's going to happen. Because we live in that place. We live in a place where other people influence our lives and affect those lives. You can be walking a very good path and somebody else's decision will mess with you. Do not assume this to be a punishment from God. Do not assume this is the will of God. This is the willfulness of a person not following God. Lastly, good decisions lead to a better life. But we don't always make good decisions. So Jesus tells another story. It's recorded in in Luke. Chapter 15, he's talking about all those things that get lost. And he comes back to the sheep and the shepherds again as his illustration because everybody there has seen sheep. And everybody knows there, everybody there knows sheep were dumb. How do you like that being Jesus' primary illustration for the church? They all knew that sheep were dumb. It was his primary illustration for them, too. You guys are dumb. Basically, that's a sheep illustration, right? He said, here's the deal. Shepherd gets to the end of the day, and he's come to one of those pens again. And he's running his sheep into the pen, and he's looking at them as they go through, and he's got sheep after sheep after sheep. There are 100 sheep in this flock. They're just running into the pen. It's all very cool. Everybody's happy. They're fat. They've been drinking. They've had a good day. They're baying at each other. They're chatting with the, new, the other sheep that are in the pen. They're getting inside. The little sheep are there. The big sheep are there. And he looks through the sheep. Somebody's missing. He goes back, and he looks in the pen, and he looks through, and he says, Oh, man, wandering Willie's out again. And Jesus says, a good shepherd will leave the 99 there in the pen and he'll go out looking for the one that's lost. You and I both know that we make bad decisions. We are not left alone, even when we make bad decisions. God does not leave us without his assistance, even when we've made the bad decisions. You realize that what happens here is that the, the, the shepherd goes out pursuing the sheep. When the sheep has wandered off the path, The shepherd goes out on that path pursuing the sheep. He goes to find the sheep. And the scripture simply says, when he finds that lost sheep. So I want you to recognize the word when in this text. It's not if he finds that lost sheep. This isn't that kind of shepherd. This is God himself. He knows where the sheep is lost. 
He knows where they got off the path. He knows why they got off the path. He knows how scared they are. He goes and when he finds that sheep, he doesn't just say, okay, head home. When I'm chasing my dog trying to get him to go home, he gets more of this kind of push. He picks up the sheep. He puts it across his shoulders. Because he's not leaving the security and the rescue of that sheep up to the sheep. He's going to carry it all the way back to the pen himself. He's going to be sure that that sheep gets home himself. And when he finally gets to the safety and security of that pen, then he takes the sheep off his shoulders and puts him there with all of his brothers and closes up the pen to protect him from evil and attack one more night. I've just given you five ways, there are probably 25, to weigh a decision, to consider a decision. Don't be fearful that you're abandoned for a wrong decision. But don't be a sheep. Consider whether or not this takes you in a path that follows Jesus or not. I know it's a pretty simplified picture of how it works, but basically I need simple. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Thank you that you have given us so much help in the scriptures. Thank you that you have laid out for us so many things to light our way, to clarify what's in front of us. Thank you that you want us to get home. Lord, all the culture around us is calling us to do something other than follow you. Help us to make the decision. And help us to be an influence away from that decision. I especially pray for anointing on all of those who have responsibility to run things. But I pray for those who have responsibility for employees and businesses. I pray for the decisions they have to make from day to day. I pray for those who have responsibility for families, spouses, and children. For anointing on the decisions that they have to make. Pray for those who think they're the only one affected by this. I pray that they will understand that no one of us is separate from all of us. And the 
what touches one of us touches us all. I pray for spiritual power to fall on us and on our church. To be a place that pushes back against the torrent Thank you.